What is going on, everyone? It is another installment of Kickback and Relax and the 135th episode of Left Side Heavy. On this one, it is a twofer. We got you a twofer. We have professional baseball player Curtis Taylor. Hometown is Porco Quitlam, British Columbia, hometown hero over here. And he talks about the behind-the-scenes action of a baseball player, kind of what the fans don't see, some trade talks, uh, rehab processes, his draft day experience, and many, much, much more. Just a quick 25-minute interview. And then we got personal trainer of Twist Conditioning, Callum Volpe, another Coquitlam kid. And we kind of talk about how training in the sports world has evolved how more important how much more important it's gotten and just like the differences from before um this is a great interview he goes quite in depth about his experience of getting into personal training and just his opinions overall so i hope really hope you guys enjoy this episode i think it's two quality interviews two quality guests two quality people overall so i hope you enjoy this episode leave a rating on any platform that you are listening on and watch the youtube subscribe like comment ring the bell do anything to help support the show really appreciate it enjoy this kick back and relax love y'all I'm uh, Curtis Taylor. I'm 27 years old from uh, Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. I'm uh, currently, well, last season I was a pitcher in AAA, professional pitcher for the Washington Nationals and their organization. But uh, as of right now, I'm a free agent, free agent professional pitcher. So I'm available to sign with any team I want. And uh, yeah. Curtis, thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your evening to do this. It's really much appreciated. Um, how are some of the talks going down with any sort of teams if you're able to disclose any of that information? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's kind of preliminary right now. Me and my agent are talking to a few teams. It kind of the way the free agency goes is uh, guys in the big leagues usually get signed first and then it picks up for minor league guys. And the one domino that needs to fall first kind of get everything going is where Aaron Judge is going to sign. So most guys are waiting on him and then it'll it'll start the ball will start rolling and teams will start talking more so in about probably about a week or two hopefully how often are you are you talking to your agent every day is there like new details coming out or is it kind of every few days you just check up yeah we we touch we have a call usually at the beginning of the week and then touch base as he hears different things from different teams moving forward how do um typically how are contracts kind of built around a player of your prototype yeah it's kind of an interesting situation so i'm like your minor league contract is seven years so and then but once you get called up to the big leagues your contract restarts so you start like six years with that team so there aren't many players in the situation i'm in where they manage to go through all seven seasons in the minor leagues without getting called up to the mlb so usually either you get released first because you're not good enough and like nobody wants you to play for them anymore or uh or you make it to the big league so i've kind of been in that like zone where teams still see potential in me but i haven't quite cracked the mlb roster yet 
Well, uh, all the luck to you, but I want to start from the beginning because you were drafted by the Diamondbacks back in 2016 in the fourth round. What was that day like? What was the development up to the up to draft day? And what teams were you talking with? Like, what was that whole process like? Um, honestly, the day, so the MLB draft goes in three days. So day one is rounds one through three or one, one and two, and then it's three through 10 the second day. And then there, it was 10, there's 40 rounds MLB draft. So it's 10 through 40. Yeah. It's crazy. It's shrunk to 20 now, but back then it was, there were 40 rounds. So, um, so yeah, the day itself was super stressful, but throughout the whole season, it starts, honestly, we at UBC, uh, we had our pro day in, uh, I think September or October. So pretty much all the area scouts come to UBC and watch us, watch us pitch. And then from then on out, you hear from teams kind of throughout the season and they gauge their interest. I was lucky enough. I talked to all 30 teams in the draft process. So I feel like everybody had a certain level of interest. You can kind of tell who's more invested in you and who likes you more as a player. But um, yeah, honestly, the D-backs were, they were one of the first teams to talk to me. And then I really didn't hear from them throughout most of the year until the, the second day of the draft. So yeah, that day itself was very stressful. Um, I mean, the first day I was like, oh, it'd be great if I went here. But me and my me and my age, my advisor at the time didn't really like think that was a, was a realistic. And then I woke up the second day. I was like, all right, this is the day that most likely is going to happen. And um, it was just super stressful, you know, watching names go down, um, go off the list and it kind of climbs round by round. But um, you get phone calls from a few teams and the agents like will tell another team that there's some interest on Taylor. If you want him, you got him. You got to make a pick pretty soon. And um yeah, it ended up working out, working out not too bad. Were you watching the draft board and you're like, oh, I'm better than that guy. I should have gone before him. Or did See, you know much from, about the other prospects? Yeah, being from uh, playing at UBC and um, in the NAIA, which is like a small, small league called collegiate wise. Um, I didn't know a ton of players going firsthand. So I never really had that, that, that feeling. But um, yeah, it's definitely like I feel like I'm capable of of pitching at this at this level and I've, I've heard that this round is about where i'm going so it was more stress than anything yeah getting into baseball because i'm assuming you've been playing since a young age but was going pro always the goal or were you just playing it for the love of it and then you're like i'm actually pretty good at this so i'm gonna try and make a push yeah like i mean on it being from canada i never like i know some guys have gone pro before but i didn't think that was like i always wanted to play for the yankees growing up that was my team throughout my, my whole life my dad was a big yankees fan so i always wanted to in the back of my mind but it was never like a serious opportunity until my uh my second year at ubc i uh, i kind of i started throwing a lot harder i hit like 90 96 for the first time and um that was kind of when teams were like teams and my coach were uh we're like, hey, this is a very realistic opportunity and possibility for you. So that, that was when it became real for me. Yeah, that, that goes. You answered my follow up question is when <laughs> did being getting drafted be realistic? But yeah, was that season? Did you just notice a lot more scouts? Was like your coach making phone calls on like, hey, you got to come watch my guy. Like, how did it go from like being a realistic to actually it coming to fruition? Um. Yeah. So the my. My sophomore year, I uh, I had this. I had one game against Lewis and Clark State. It was like the best team that we play against, and um, I, I I came in the game like I was throwing like throwing ninety four, ninety six, which for my league, the league at UBC, is like pretty unprecedented. Like people don't do that very often. So at that, lucky enough, Lewis and Clark State, the team we we're playing, has a 
gets a lot of guys drafted. So there were already scouts there. And then as soon as that game happened, um, the like buzz kind of started. My head coach just started getting calls more so. He didn't really have to promote me too much because what I, what I did on the field was I was fortunate enough that it, it kind of spoke for itself. But um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, that game was great. And then going into my junior year, uh, there were, there were like a bunch of scouts at the majority of my starts. So um, from then on out, I was scouted pretty heavily and uh, yeah, I was able to talk to all 30 teams and the D-backs ended up making a call. That's awesome, man. That's so, that's so cool. But yeah, after getting drafted, you, I assume you make your way down to AZ for rookie camp, spring training, whatever it may be. What's that whole process like getting landing down in Arizona and then get into the facility and like what what's the whole uh spring training and rookie camp like yeah so baseball is kind of it's kind of strange because you get drafted in the draft is in june and the season is like on like it's already going it's not in the off season for whatever that is really weird in baseball yeah so i initially went to um hillsborough oregon that's where the d-backs did their camp and that's where their short season team was so i went there for like two days uh did did like kind of just like a like kind of get used to the new coaches and the new system and then but because I was Canadian I couldn't work in America so I had to go back back home and then I I like sat on the couch for a month while my team was playing and um so yeah I was just chilling at home waiting for my working visa to so I could go play and work in the states so uh that was that was interesting I showed up a month into the season into short season in Hillsboro but um honestly it was a pretty seamless transition they they handled me kind of because I was a higher pick I threw like a bunch of bullpens, so I didn't pitch in an actual game for three weeks. But um, they took care of me and they they built me up appropriately, had me ready to go as soon as they did put me in games. I've heard so many horror stories with work visas. Did like was yeah. it? Did it go as smooth as possible? It just takes a long time, or was it like, oh my gosh, it just keeps getting backed up? Or was yeah, there any the problems with one, it? The, the first one took a long time. It took a month. Um, so yeah, I was kind of sitting there like, man, I want to get this thing going. Like, no, yeah. I'm not helping anybody sitting on my couch. But uh, yeah, it didn't end up biting me, biting me in the butt too hard. Um, was there any culture shock going from UBC to, um, whether it's single, double A, or whatever it may be? Like clubhouse interactions is like, is the is any of it like a culture shock to you, or was it just kind of better baseball? No, it was it was extremely different for sure. Because uh, at UBC we don't we don't even have a locker room. Like it's pretty much you show up to the field. Or at least when I was there, they, their facilities are getting better now. But when I was there, we would just show up to the field in our uniform, pretty much like get ready, warm up, and go play. Whereas in at, in pro baseball, you show up at like two p.m. for a seven o'clock game. You throw at three thirty, and then and then the game starts later. So it was like a very very different structure, but overall it, it's honestly just more beneficial to your development as a player so i was i was all in is the club did you fit in pretty quick like is the clubhouse banter pretty pretty laid back or? yeah yeah it, it was it was pretty similar there was there was nothing uh nothing that really held me back it was just just good group of guys so yeah good complaint so uh get into the professional scheduling and stuff like that and pitchers have a very unique schedule compared to other athletes they pitch every five days and then they just kind of get rest days whether they track other stuff for coaches managers whatever it may be but all athletes have something in common they really like their off days they enjoy their off days everyone handles it differently what's an off day for curtis taylor in a professional baseball season 
man i'm a i'm a big sleeping guy so i usually i don't get out of bed probably till 10 or 11 i uh i i'd like to like to get that get that rest in there for sure um and generally speaking during the season i do wake up around that time because like as a, as a relief pitcher that pitches late in games i usually have in like a cup of coffee or a pre-workout at like 9 p.m so i'm like it's tough for me to go to sleep like right away when i get home so my sleep schedule is like shifted in, in that regard but i mean i like i love i love shopping and stuff and, and fashion and clothing is one of my hobbies so if i'm on the road like i'll try and find vintage clothing stores or new stores to go shop at I love food. I'm a big foodie. So I'll try and I'll, I'll be on Yelp or uh, just Googling hot restaurants near me and whatnot. So I like to, like, I like to try and get the most out of each city that I'm in and kind of get a feel for it. What city have you uh, been on the road on and been like, this food is unbelievable here. Uh, this the food, the best food city I've probably been. Um, I mean, when I played in Hillsborough, we were in, uh, we were in, it's pretty much Portland, Oregon. That wasn't bad. Um, uh, Portland, Maine was also really good. We had we went down this one place and had some fresh uh, like a lobster benny right on the ocean, and man, it was super good. So I'd say honestly, both Portland coasts have been really good to me. That's that sounds yeah. so good. Oh yeah. Um, unfortunately, you've battled some injuries. Um, I'm pretty sure you had some surgery on your elbow, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or... not surgery, but I had a PRP injection. So which is like the next best thing or the most serious uh, like healing project after that. How does that conversation go down with the doctors and when, how, what's the rehab process like at a professional level? Yeah. So with my, uh, with my elbow, I felt, uh, I felt like a little pop when I was warming up one game. And then, so you pretty much go, you come out of the game, you tell your trainer, and then it depends on the severity of, he runs you through a bunch of tests that would see if the UCL, cause it's very common in baseball players, UCL injury on their collateral ligament. So he runs you through a bunch of tests. Mine wasn't that severe, lucky enough, but you go get it. It is nice to be a pro athlete. The MRI comes like the next day. Like you never have to wait for it. It's just like, bang, get you in there, get a picture of your elbow. So I had like a very small sprain in my UCL. So from that point, with that injury, it is very, there is a discussion to be had for sure with uh, with your trainer and the, the surgeon. So mine wasn't serious enough to have to get uh surgery which is nice which is like a whole year done so i got a prp injection which is they take uh they take blood out of your body out of your and then spin around the centrifuge and inject the plasma back in and it just expedites the healing process like your body floods a bunch of uh, healing agents there and then that was four to six weeks no throw and then you just kind of build it up with a throwing progression that the the training staff has developed like over their many years doing that and that 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 would be like Tommy John if you got surgery, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. yep. Yeah, and that that's no fun from what I've heard. That's Mm-mm. no yeah, grueling rehab process for sure. Um, do you go do you go into every off season or like circling a certain attribute of yours to train on? Like, okay, this off season I got to work on my curveball, or I want to try and work on adding a different pitch to my bag. Like, do you have conversations with your trainer with that? Like they kind of give you a schedule to work on, or do you kind of go off your own? What's an off season training like to improve your game? Yeah, for sure. Um, I have, I've been working with uh, guys out in Charlotte, tread athletics for a while. And I'm lucky enough. One of my teammates that I played with uh, Tyler Zombro is a head trainer there. And uh, so he's kind of been like my pitching coach, honestly, because I've bounced around so much. I've played seven years. I've played for four organizations. So I haven't had like a solid pitching coach that I've known for over two years 
to like on with a with a team that I've played for to kind of develop me. So I've kind of had to take that into my own hands. And uh, the guys at Tread have been awesome. So yeah, it usually just starts with um like working out and getting stronger off the rip for the first month is just like building strength in in that regard with pretty much every facet of your body. And then we'll start throwing. Usually it's got probably about a month off of throwing. But that time's gotten shorter every year for me because to work on pitches, you kind of got to start earlier. But um, yeah, this year, the goal more so would be to refine my slider, make it harder. It kind of got like slower and more of a curveball shape. So a little hard slider and then uh, work on a changeup and possibly a cutter. So we're thinking about adding uh, another pitch once I get down to Charlotte and I start throwing like full, full intent bullpens off the mound in early January. You mentioned about bouncing around a um, couple teams and stuff like that. How do managers or GMs break the news to players that you've been traded? As, super as, blunt. Just super blunt, like right it's to the, the most. It's the most matter of fact, uh, like interaction I've ever had in my life. Because as soon as you get traded, like they had a team that has nothing to do with you. Like they wash your hands. So the well, first time I got traded, I was actually in Arizona in November for uh, like a strength camp. Sometimes I'll bring players down for a week, like check in, have them work out and then send them home. So I got traded when I was actually at the Diamondbacks complex. And uh, it was it was very weird. We were going ready to stretch for the day. And the, the farm director called me. Not, you don't call me to the office. He just met me in the hallway and was like, hey, we just traded you to Tampa Bay. Um, they'll be in touch with you and, and we'll go from there. And then I was like, OK, so do I still go stretch with you guys? And he's like, no, you're not allowed on the field with us anymore. He's like, pack your bags and the Rays will be in touch. And I was like, okay, do I have a plane ticket or anything? Like, what do I do? Am I going home first? And the Diamondbacks just said, like, no, uh, we don't have anything to do with you anymore. That's totally on Tampa Bay to get you home now. He's like, we, uh, we like, unfortunately can't, can't deal with any of your travel anymore. It's like, so that's when I first realized that like, this is a business stamp. Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's not personal at all. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you got uh, shipped off to Toronto from Tampa, if I'm not mistaken. What was yeah. that feeling like, kind of going to the Canadian team of um, the country, like yeah. Canada's yeah. team? That was very cool. It was honestly a funny situation. I was at uh, my buddy Jake, you know, Jake's uh, cabin with like with a bunch of friends um, because the season had just ended when I got traded there. And um, so we were like out on the boat having a good day at my friend's cabin, and I got back we got back off the boat and I had like three missed calls from the Rays and I just called them back and they said, yeah, you've been traded to Toronto. And um, that was cool because I got way more responses from people like say on Instagram DMS or just text messages compared to when I got traded to Tampa Bay. A lot of people thought it was really cool to be playing for the Blue Jays. And honestly, it, it, it was really cool. Like I enjoyed that experience for sure. So did they get in contact with you and you just went to like when you got traded to Tampa, when you got traded to Toronto, like, did they get in contact with you be like, hey, here's your plane ticket, get a, get down to the facility and have a workout or just um, come whenever camp starts? Yeah, for the Rays, it was just it was just come when camp starts. Uh, you just go home, finish your offseason, and then come down when that starts. With the Jays, I was it was still during my rehab process. So I was still coming back from my elbow injury. And uh, so I went down to Dunedin, Florida and finished my rehab with them in uh, down there in, in Florida. Yeah. And was it? hard getting shipped off a third time after that to Washington like was that just a hard feeling to soak in because it's like man am I ever gonna stick on a roster or was it just like did you request anything or how did that third conversation go down yeah no that one was uh was pretty quick too uh 
nothing. I was just at home chilling. I got a phone call from the Jays, but um, that one I was honestly excited about because there was a ton of opportunity with Washington. They didn't, they didn't have a super, super deep bullpen or anything like that. So I saw that as like a good opportunity to finally break into the big leagues. Unfortunately, I didn't pitch well enough to, to get there last year, but um, that, that was more excitement with the opportunity at hand. Watching baseball um, games, dugout interactions always look extremely entertaining. Are they as entertaining in person as they look on TV, or is it just like, are they? Is it just like the clubhouse and the dugout, and just like nothing really goes on? No, dudes. It depends on what team you're on, but um, guys, guys have a lot of fun. Baseball is is a super relaxed sport for the most part. Honestly, the dugout's more serious. If you if they had a camera on the bullpen, they'd catch some serious uh, shenanigans up there for <laughs> sure. That's where that's where the real fun goes down. But um, the dugout is more serious because your coaches are there. At the bullpen, it's just lawlessness. It's just players doing whatever they want to do. So nobody really uh, keeps an eye on you. But um, yeah, dudes have a lot of fun. Uh, the good teams that I've been on, their players are always talking to each other. I'm sure you saw uh, Harper in the playoffs this year pull Alec Boehm aside and, and give him a tip right before he went to the plate. So good teams. They talk about the game and they're super invested um, in that regard. But yeah, in, in in general, it's just it's just an easy going, uh, a fun environment for the most part. In the in the bullpen, have you ever had any interactions with like fans or something like that, like any hecklers oh, or whatever? Bro, it's every day, man. It's every day. Kids, especially. I don't know. I don't know where kids' manners have gone. They it's like they demand balls these days. They don't ask for them nicely, but um. Yeah, some bullpens are got fans are right on top of you and they'll uh and they'll be they'll be in your ear the whole time warming up. But uh, you know, it's just it's all part of it and you kinda gotta deal with it. When I'm doing the uh Coquitlam Express games, doing the in-game hosting for that, yeah. I have to I'm working the crowd, I have to bring out like pizza boxes for a row to win a free pizza kind of thing like <laughs> yeah. something like that. And I literally say this row wins and everyone bombards me asking for one. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm, I keep saying no, like, I guess to the point where, cause these are just like kids are like eight years old and I almost yeah. want to just set off on them. I'm like, get out of my way. I've said oh, yeah. it's, yeah, it's crazy. So like, no, I mean, I, yeah, I've seen some, uh, some older guys who have like more experience. So like been in the big leagues and are kind of trying to get back up there. Like they will lean into kids. They do not care at all. So I, I have seen that happen before. It's pretty entertaining. Um, a couple more questions here. How is conflict typically dealt? Whether um, players are getting into it with one another in the clubhouse or behind closed doors that maybe fans don't see. How is it usually dealt with? Is does the morale shrink a lot, or is it kind of just like though it'll be done in like five minutes? Yeah, it totally depends on the situation. Honestly, if it's two good guys and like people can realize that it was just a heat of the moment thing and they both want to win and it's more of a derivative of competitiveness, then that's that's cool. Guys will get over that and it won't really like divide a locker room or anything. But I have had times where it's like serious issues between people and that you do make locker rooms do have to pick sides. And then I've also seen it so bad. Like this year, we had one guy who showed up teammates um, was just being like like on the mound was blatantly disrespecting a guy who had made an error um, and then was had a few runs given up and came back into the dugout and was not happy about about the reliever coming in and cashing in his runs. And that guy was released that game like he was on a plane ride home like they, they didn't have any tolerance for that. So it's super I've seen every end of the spectrum. So it's very dependent on the situation. Uh, last question here. 
and I kind of just came up with me on this, came up to me on the spot. So forgive uh, me if it doesn't make sense at first. Uh, well, what are some misconceptions that fans have that either that aren't true as a player? Like some things that fans believe happen behind closed doors or are true on the field, but you're like, no, that's not true at all. It's a huge misconception that fans have. If you um, have one that comes to mind. One more so this more on field is how hard it is to throw a strike. That that is not easy. It's it's very difficult. Uh but people just like say just throw strikes as a fan. That's it, like it, trying to throw a ball as hard as you can to a little like f- uh, 17 inch square strike zone is is uh is not easy. Um I would say generally speaking, fans don't really understand how uh it's changed now, but how poorly minor league baseball players are treated, generally speaking. Like I've had hotels where I've checked in and there have been like fleas in my pillow, like ticks everywhere. Like I've had to, I've had to go get hotel rooms on my own. Um sometimes spread just doesn't show up like your pregame food so minor league baseball players have to have to deal with uh with a bit of a battle but that's changing currently they just uh started their own union this last year this offseason honestly a couple weeks ago so um it's it's trending in the right direction but and before my time even it was way worse than it is currently but yeah minor league minor league baseball players are finally getting stood up for but they used to kind of get dragged through the mud just with conditions and uh and how how the way of living was that sounds horrible. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Yeah, not the best, but you know, we got we got to power through. But uh, last one, last final question before I lead you off here. Besides signing with the team and um, getting a roster spot and everything like that, what's a short term goal that you have um, heading into next season? Um, I mean, on this one is out of my control, but I'd love to play for Team Canada in the World Baseball Classic. That would be super cool, and that's a realistic opportunity, kind of where I uh, I stand depth wise with that team. So that would be that would be uh, would be unbelievable. And then because I've never been able to play for Canada, have that have the Maple Leaf on my chest before, that would be a, a very cool experience. And then uh, I mean, just going to spring training and impressing a team right away. I'm going to try and be as ready and in the best of shape uh, physically and just off the mound as I can. And uh, just go make an impression right off the rip in spring training and uh and hopefully go from there and and then ultimately get called up this year is is the goal as it has been for the last few but it's definitely at the forefront this year well curtis this has been amazing thank you for your time and uh good luck in the future man of course brother anytime I am now more than happy to welcome on my guest for this episode, Callum Volpe, who is a trainer at Twist. Callum, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself? How old are you, my friend? What are you? Uh, where are you working? What do you do? Yeah, so uh, 24 years old now. Um, what I've been <clears throat> doing the last four or so years um, since my 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 hockey playing career, um, I've kind of branched more into the personal training strength and conditioning side of things um and that all yeah that all stemmed from my passion for it as I was going through it myself I had uh quite the mentor from the time I was about 13 years old I started working with a guy named Adam Francilia uh and he trained me all the way through till the end of my playing career at about 20 21 years old um he's based up in Kelowna now which is which is uh pretty cool I'll still go up and apprentice under him a little bit but yeah uh, for the most part I'm 
when I'm back at home on the mainland in uh, in Poco, I'm working at at Twist Conditioning, which has been a lot of fun. They've been really good to me, kind of giving me freedom with their off-season hockey program. And we've got a few good players. Actually, I saw you had Calzon a couple weeks ago or whatever it was. So he's been uh, he's been with me the last two off seasons we've been working together and it's been showing clearly for him. He's had a pretty solid start to this season, which is great to see, obviously. Um, a couple other local guys who are doing pretty well, a guy named Brandon Lazowski, who's playing for uh, Saskatoon Blades right now. He was uh, he was a Toronto Maple Leafs pick this past, this previous draft. Morgan Wright. He's having a solid start to the year too. So it was, it's really fun for me getting to work with those two guys, especially, and uh, seeing those two interact. Obviously, Kells has has uh, a few years on him, but he's been able yeah. to show him the ropes and show him what it's like to be a professional. So it's cool from from my perspective to get to to witness all that too. Um, but yeah, now I'm back over in uh, Victoria right now on the island, finishing up. I'm in my fourth year of uh, the kinesiology program over here at UVic. And uh, while I'm going through that here as well, I'm also working a little bit with um, some athletes as well. A few hockey teams, uh, one of the local junior B teams right. and the local junior A team, actually, the Victoria Grizzlies, done a little bit of work with them. And um, some cool experience as well, getting to work with some other athletes. I've been training this group of young gymnasts, which is pretty, pretty eye-opening, a little different than hockey players. And they put me to shame in a lot of stuff, especially... <laughs> when it comes to mobility and coordination and all that but yeah it's been really cool all-around experience so far and uh we'll see we'll see where it goes from here that's awesome man um what kind of got you into sports thinking back like as long as I can remember I can't remember not being into sports but I'll have to give that that honor to my dad for sure he's diehard sports fan especially hockey um, so he introduced that to me before I can even remember. So it's always been a huge part of my life. And then, uh, I have an older brother, uh, Brandon, he's three years older. So I got to watch him, you know, start out his hockey career from the time he was five. And I would always show up to the rink and bring my own hockey stick and a puck or a ball and just shoot pucks in the corner while he was on the ice and couldn't wait to get out there myself so once I turned yeah turned five and once you're allowed to play hockey I jumped out there right away and couldn't get enough of it was it always hockey or were there other things that you're into uh, I played a little bit of lacrosse I played I think it was four or five seasons of lacrosse and then uh, things started to get a little bit busier with hockey because I started playing spring hockey as well and had a lot of um, development and training and that sort of stuff in the summer um, and lacrosse was also getting busy. So something had to go. So I took a step back from that, joined uh, house league baseball for four seasons as well. I think just to be able to play something on the side and not have it so competitive, um, which brought, I think a lot of value to myself. And I've seen it, especially working with a lot of younger athletes too. It's nowadays, everything is so specialized and you see it with um, you know, social media, just exacerbating this as well. Um, everyone wants to play hockey all year round every single day and get super specific from the time they're like six years old, which is great to an extent if you love it. But I think there's tremendous value in 
playing other sports like lacrosse, baseball, soccer, gymnastics, whatever it may be to develop a more well-rounded athlete. And there's so many different skills and um, attributes to these different sports that have so much carryover. So say baseball, for example, you know, you get guys swinging the bat a bunch of times, they step on the ice and maybe they're a net front guy on the power play. And then they have their stick out front and the, you know, builds the hand eye coordination, something like that. So huge value in, uh, in playing all sorts of different sports, I think. It also just helps with mentality. Like it keeps the art of playing hockey fresh. Like if you're playing it all year round, it's like once it comes down to the season, you're like, I'm sick and tired of this. Like I've been on the ice all oh, yeah. summer. Yeah. But once you like um, play new s- different sports, it's just like, I just need a, a break from it. Like I just need a summer sport that I can put most of my time to and maybe train a little bit for hockey. But if you're on the ice all the time, you're going to grow to hate it because for you're sure. playing yeah. it so much. Yeah, been there like to an extent. Um, I mean, like I said, I always had like quite the passion for it. So it was always what I wanted to do. But yeah, the further you go along, the more it becomes a bit of a chore at times. Yeah. And you just lose enjoyment. You lose the, you, you can start to lose the love for the game, which is unfortunate. And you've, or well, I've, I've seen it, especially with some of these younger kids that I've worked with over the years, um, you know, especially that. 11 to 14 age range um, is where, you know, you start getting these different academies. And like you said, year round, you know, five days a week on the ice programs. And it's great to an extent, but that just speeds up the burnout and kids get fatigued and like, you, you got to let kids be kids. And even, you know, at the professional level too, you'll probably hear a lot of guys talk about it. Um, if it's all hockey all the time, then it, it, wears on you and yeah. psychologically that's a huge huge challenge to overcome yeah um you mentioned that you um put lacrosse and baseball to the side a little bit to um focus on hockey you always at least in my eyes that, that i've known you you'd always play at hockey at the highest level did you want to go anywhere with hockey or was it just did you see any like future in hockey or is it like in the foreseeable future i'm just going to play at the highest level to challenge myself like what was the reason playing at a high level yeah absolutely. the the goal was always from the time i can remember to play in the nhl that was uh that was the pinnacle of what i wanted to reach and um happy with with the success of my career as far as it did end up getting um getting to play you know four years in in the bchl and then couple years of university hockey too was fantastic obviously didn't quite get to the NHL so I think that dream's a little over now but um yeah that was that was absolutely the goal and you know just there there comes a time where you know you see certain guys are starting to separate themselves from this from the rest of the group and um you know luckily I had quite a few other interests aside from just hockey so it wasn't uh, it wasn't too difficult for me to transition away from the game once my playing career was over and being able to work with athletes now, especially hockey players, is super rewarding for me because I still do get to stay connected to the game, um, which I always have and always will love for sure. So pretty uh, pretty special opportunity that I've gotten getting to see the other side of things off the ice and and help other guys try to 
you know, take their career to the next level or just take their enjoyment of the game to the next level, especially when it comes to, you know, younger guys. Yeah, you see that a lot with pros in the NHL because being in the game so long, you don't ever really want to leave that because of how blessed players are to be in the NHL. It's such a privilege to be there. So when they retire, they always try to find a way like to work within the team somehow so they can stay integrated in the group. So it's good that you found something how you you can just, like you said, work from the other side of it and just stay connected into, like if you work with the team, you can still kind of stay connected with the team like when you play it. So you see that common. For sure. Yeah. A lot of athletes. Yeah. Um, How did you know... Did you always know training was next for you on your uh, final years of playing, or was it kind of just like a, do you know what, I'm kind of done with hockey, I just want to go into this now? Or was it like a few years that you had it planned? Um, it was it was a little bit of both. It was it was somewhere in between that. Obviously, um, you know, the, the first priority when I was um, in my junior year, so seven, age 17 through 20, was to – you know, get a division one scholarship ideally, and then see where that takes me with, with pro still being the goal. But, um, from quite a young age, actually, that was another thing that I give my dad hundred percent credit for was instilling a passion for, uh, for health and fitness in me. So since like, as long as I can remember same sort of thing that I was saying, I couldn't wait to get on the ice when I was younger. I also couldn't wait till I was old enough to go into a public gym um, and get that, get that sort of experience as well. Um, so it was always, you know, the off ice off season, off ice side of things was always, um, a lot of fun for me. Like I loved going into the gym, trying different things, whether it be, you know, strength, plyometric stuff, coordination, all that sort of stuff. Um, I just loved, yeah, seeing what my body was capable of and seeing how far I could push it. So even through my playing, my playing career, we'll call it, um, especially through junior and then a little bit in university, I was always pretty on top of my um, health and fitness. And I think some other guys started to take notice of that, whether it be teammates or just other friends I knew around the league or whatnot. And, uh, and then people started kind of coming to me asking for advice. And, you know, I love sharing that sort of information and the more that started to happen, the more I was thinking, oh, like this could be, this could be a good, good option post-career. Um, and then it would have been my uh, end of my 20-year-old season, um, I decided to get a personal training certification. So I did that. And uh, strangely enough, my first ever client, um, he was a few years older than me, and he was actually playing in uh, in the East Coast at the time, the East Coast Hockey League for the Utah Grizzlies. Um, he was a goalie named Jeff Smith, and we were buddies for a long time. We used to train together, and uh, and then when he was back for the off season, he was talking to me. He's like, "Hey, like, you're just are you interested in training me this summer?" And I had never had a client, and here's a professional hockey player coming to me asking. Wow. Yeah, asking. That's awesome. To train him for the summer, so. Was a little nervous at first, of course. Yeah. Three years, my senior, and I looked up to him as a kid, and now he's asking me to do this this for him, and he put a lot of trust in me, and it was an amazing summer. I learned a ton. Um, you know, he he enjoyed it. He went on to have a pretty solid season, and then um, ended up retiring a year or two later. But 
yeah, that was a pretty, pretty cool entrance into the, the athletic training or strength and conditioning world for me. So did you train him for like a short stint and then he reached back to you and said, Hey, like, I like what you did. I like what we did earlier. Do you want to do it for a full summer? So it was, um, actually I'll touch on, uh, on Colton's case as well. That that's pretty much how that went. But with, with Smitty, it was, we had trained together under this oh, gotcha. out of Francilia for probably a good three, four years. Yeah. Um, and then when he, like I said, Adam was based up in Kelowna, Smitty wanted to stay on the mainland for, for the summer. And he had seen, you know, that I had a passion for it and that I had already, you know, kind of got the, the wheels turning, um, to propel me into that career already. So he, he was, you know, did me a favor and, uh, yeah. jumping on board with me that summer. And then, yeah. in, in Colton's case, actually um we had been you know good buddies all growing up like played together minor hockey um every other year and uh he asked if we wanted to do or if I wanted to do a workout with him one summer I was like yeah absolutely this was during COVID as well so we didn't have a gym so he just came over in my backyard the limited equipment that I had and we just did just as buddies just a friendly workout together and then afterwards he's like like damn that was a lot of fun and beneficial next summer are you into training me full-time and I was like yeah absolutely <laughs> and uh yeah two two off seasons under our belt now and he's seen some good progress and it's tons of fun getting to train you know one of my good buddies and an incredible hockey player and an incredible person in him too yeah it makes it a lot easier because it's he's like he wants to grow you want to grow so it's almost like let's, we're in this together man like we both have the same kind of passion absolutely so. yeah and that's that's a huge part of it too just having that like reciprocal relationship a lot of yeah. people you know can think of a trainer client relationship as you know for lack of a better word a, a, a dictatorship like the trainer tells the client what to do they listen and that's that um but with with colton especially and guys of that caliber it's got to be like a, a two-way street it's like yeah I'm going to help you grow. You help me grow. Like if there's something that isn't working, tell me, like, let's hash this out together and see what, what the best plan of attack is. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, it's very interesting how training for sports has evolved over the years. Um, it was very like minimal, um, even in like the early 2000s, you'd very you'd see some athletes or like some athletes who retired um, from the NHL or any sort of pro hockey, or like oh back in 02, like I wish I took training a little bit more serious over the summer. And then nowadays, like if you eat the slightest bit of carbs in one single day, then like your whole diet is thrown off and training regimen is just out the out the window. So how has training like changed over the years and how has it like kind of progressed that you've noticed? Yeah, even in uh, my, like I said, four plus years, we'll call it, which is a very short time frame in the big picture. Um, I've already seen quite a bit of change in that short period. And then you extend that to a decade and it's it's night and day, the difference. Um we're talking just before, before jumping on here that guys used to show up to training camp, 20, 30 pounds overweight, you know, still smoking cigarettes in the dressing room and whatnot. 
and uh and guys, lights after workouts and stuff exactly yeah <laughs> yeah super casual um and guys would use their training camp and the first honestly started the season to try to get back into shape and that just obviously does not fly these days you know guys are guys are so so talented and so um connected with every part of the world these days like i said through social media as well um you can see what everyone else is doing and it just it just pushes everyone else to the next level just to try to get that extra one percent so like you mentioned um diet is something that's super super critical off season mid season you know pregame postgame all these things they play such a huge role and and guys need to be very specific now with what they do and you can't just get away with you know crushing 12 beers the night before a game and just going out there and trying to trying to make it work i mean i'm sure there's some anomalies who can make that happen but um yeah everything's very specific and especially with with training now too there's a lot of like we talked about earlier guys can get burnt out pretty quick with all the time they're on the ice um, high volume in the gym that sort of thing so the recovery aspect is probably the the biggest change that I've seen and that you know I've heard differences from and seen differences from even just you know five ten years ago uh, you know guys are needing to prioritize their sleep like I said nutrition to make sure their body's fully recovered to to be able to take on the demands of a crazy schedule like at the pro level for example you got 70 to 80 games depending on or 70 to 82 games whichever league you're playing in um that's a lot in x it's amount a lot of, of it's a lot of hockey and a lot of hockey you add on top of that the travel crossing time zones yeah. on the road you're not getting the best nutrition um not the so best sleep either in hotels and shit exactly like that. yeah yeah so it's uh you know every what what guys are doing away from the rink or translate this to any sport away from their field or area of practice um, is just as important as what they're doing at the rink or at the field or on the court or whatever it may be one thing like i've noticed through training and stuff like that is like we said earlier they'd use training camp to get in shape and instead you see like if you're for example, Vertan in that Canucks video that came out, he was dying when they were doing um, blue line back, red line back, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like if you're the slightest bit overweight, whether that's two or three pounds, and like it'll really show compared to everyone else. But every player has like seven or eight different coaches, whether that's stretching, uh, dynamics, yoga, whatever it is. Can you allude to like how many coaches players are like starting to get in their training routine to help them? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, everything's getting very specific now with training and nutrition coaches and mental health coaches, all that sort of stuff. Um, so guys can have, you know, you can call it their each individual player has their own, you know, team of professionals that they work with and that that's a great thing that you can get that specific if you have all of those professionals and all those experts on the same page and communicating with one another. Like I've seen um, examples, my own playing career one season, actually, for example, we had, uh, this is when I was in Chilliwack, we had huge coaching. I think we had five like main coaches that were always like 
on the bench or around the bench or on ice guys. Um, and then we had three off ice trainers. And for the first like two months of the year, we would have practice and workout pretty much every day, like four days a week. And we would get bagged on the ice and then go into the gym, get bagged in the gym. And then we'd have like a three and three that weekend. And we would just get so burnt out. And the reason that was happening is because there was no communication from our off ice coaches with our on ice coaches. So we're getting our ass kicked on the ice. If that's the case, me now as a trainer, if I'm working with a team and you know, they have a conditioning stint on the ice. Great. Totally fine. Maybe when we come into the gym, we'll do a little more recuperative stuff. So we'll work on some mobility, even some breath work, um, you know, move some, some lighter weights around, but that communication is so huge because if that's not the case, if, you know, each individual expert, so to speak is, is doing their own thing, then the bigger picture gets lost. And, and those, you know, different areas can start to collide and, uh, cause deficits and burnout and injuries in these athletes. Right. So it is, like I said, it is a great thing that there are so many specifics that, that guys, um, are specific professionals that guys have at their disposal as resources, but, you know, making sure that everyone's on the same page and working synergistically as opposed to, um, you know, colliding with one another is, is crucial. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so it's really important for athletes to keep it balanced. What do you, do you kind of have any sort of part of like training, whether that's like nutrition, um, weightlifting, mobility, stretching, that kind of thing. Is there any part that you prioritize more than others? Um, when it comes to, so in the weight room or in the gym, um, very, very individual, uh, you know, person to person, it's a little, the, the younger age group that you're working with, you can be a little more general with it just because everyone needs to build the same skills, the same strengths, um, the same movement patterns. So building that foundation is a little more general, but as you get higher up, um, you know, with the junior college pro level, every player is so much different and they all have their own strengths and weaknesses that you have to address both. So, um, you know, you might have a, a fast a guy who relies on his speed in his game. That's maybe his biggest strength. You want to foster that as much as you can. So just because he's that's his best skill set doesn't mean it should be ignored in the gym. You should try to promote that even more, all while trying to bring up the lagging parts as well. Um, so specificity gets higher the higher the level uh, athlete there is. And nutrition is another great example of that. Um, just based on on our bodies, you know, my metabolism, my GI tract is probably a lot different than yours. So the foods that I can assimilate into my body and help help me recover and help me build are probably a lot different, or at least slightly different than than the ones that you might be after, right? So even in that sense, it takes a lot of um, there's there's a huge like interpersonal aspect of of that like trainer client or trainer athlete relationship as well like getting to know them down to the core what makes them tick what they like to do in their off time what their sleep looks like what their nutrition looks like and then trying to trying to put together um, all those pieces into one package and, and give them the best tools uh, you possibly can to to help them grow as an athlete as and as a person and that's completely different from one guy to the next 
Where's a good start point for people who want to get into training? As the athlete or as the trainer? Uh, as the athlete. As the athlete, great place to start is just doing things that you love to do. So it's it's great to, you know, get in the gym and lift big weights and, you know, have these super intense workouts. But if you don't enjoy doing it, you're probably not likely to continue along that and it's probably not going to have longevity um so starting with things that you love doing whether that be sport or you know any sort of recreation activity or going for runs or a bike ride or swimming anything like that whatever you whatever form of exercise um you enjoy the most start doing that and then from there then you can start to build a little bit of momentum that you start to identify um you know, the differences that you feel in your body and, and psychologically that, you know, this exercise impacts. And then you can start to, like I said, build momentum and add different aspects. And you can start to add, you know, different weightlifting protocols, different mobility protocols. And then you set your foundation and then you can, like I said, get more specific into your sport or, you know, just general population, whatever your goal may be. Is there common things you see people doing wrong that you maybe want to address? Um, specifically, I, I don't have any examples, but there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, especially like I've mentioned a couple of times now with social media, there's um, a lot of, uh, you know, like sexy things that we like to see online that look cool that, maybe professional athletes or, you know, every influencer under the sun is doing. And, you know, they have all these outrageous claims, what this exercise or what this nutrition protocol is going to do for you. Um, a lot of it is just bullshit. And having a good BS filter is one of the, one of the best skills that you can have as a trainer or as an athlete. Um, so specifically, I don't have examples, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff online that people just try to emulate what their favorite athlete or favorite influencer is doing and think that that's the, the cure all when it's just not the case. We need to go back to our foundational stuff, build a strong foundation of your, you know, basic movements, sleep habits, nutrition habits, and then build up from there. Because like I said before, too, what, you know, LeBron James or Connor McDavid is doing for their training is probably a lot different than what you or I need to be doing for our training or even, you know, athletes of that same sport. Uh, last question. Um, what's the goal for this career path that you've chosen? Cause you're working at twist right now and you're in your last year of kinesiology. Is there, do you want to work with a team? Do you want to work for a certain organization company, whatever? What's uh what's the goal for uh, personal training for you um goal for me right now like like i said I, i've loved what i've been doing the last couple summers um working with you know small group settings of these elite athletes and i've been been lucky enough that guys have trusted me and wanted to wanted to come to me um for the off-season training but um yeah i would love to i love working with all types of athletes from all different sports but like i said hockey's my my true passion and my true love. So I would love to get involved with, um, you know, some teams throughout the season, whether that be, 
you know, there's tons of different academies these days at the, the Bantam midget or the U, U16 and U18 age, they call it now. Um, lots of different academies that could be good opportunities. And then um, ideally, just, just like the athlete would work my way up the ladder and hopefully see myself in the pro ranks some days, whether that be with, you know, with a, with an NHL team or just with a collection of NHL players in a more private setting. I, I, I'm not entirely sure what that might look like, but um, somewhere along those lines and also integrating, you know, other aspects of, of holistic health and wellness into that practice. So it's not just, you know, going to the gym, listen to loud music, throw around heavy weights. Um, you know, you can get a little more, specific and well-rounded with with some of the athletes so something like years down the road something like manual therapy could be on my radar too um but yeah really anything to do with maximizing the potential of the human body in athletes but everyday people as well that's where i see myself going that's awesome man um calm i appreciate you doing this um thank you for giving me your time yeah, it's very interesting to uh, to hear your side of the training and everything, kind of what goes on behind closed doors that people typically don't see. So I appreciate your time and uh, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me.